I'll be reading from Romans 4, 1 through 8, and James 2, 14 through 26 this morning. Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David, who speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, also by faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, your foolish, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see that faith was active along with his works? And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Happy first weekend of spring. You know, earlier this week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what great weather we have, you know, we had. And I thought about all my friends back in Oregon who said to me, don't move to Seattle terrible there. It always rains. And all I thought on those few days, I thought, man, the joke's on you. Because it was cool, man. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It was beautiful here. So anyway, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis. I'm one of the pastors here. 
And uh, if this is your first time visiting our church, we just want to welcome you. Welcome to Taproot. Uh, one uh, really cool thing that is happening today, uh, which I just feel obliged to tell you about, is that Steve Hansen's here. Yeah. Uh, Steve is a friend. He's a brother. He's one of our members. Uh, Steve is battling cancer and winning, winning the battle. That's right. And because of work, he hasn't been able to be with us on Sunday mornings, but he is here today, and uh, that's cool. So I just like seeing you, brother. All right, we love you, bro. And uh, yeah, uh, last week we started a brand new series, uh, sermon series called Essentials. Uh, what I said last week is that we're going to take the next 12-ish weeks or so to revisit some foundational practices of the Christian faith. And the question would be, why? Why are we doing this? And one thing I said last week, but I think it's worth repeating, is that one thing that I've learned as a coach, I've coached soccer for the past six years, I'm coaching high school soccer right now, is that you never outgrow the basics. You never outgrow the fundamentals. The basics are incredibly important. You know, there are drills that I've taught from little kids to little older kids to high school, and then you can continue that trend all the way to the professionals. The same things are taught again and again and again. I also enjoy every now and then uh, lifting weights, and one thing that I've learned uh, while doing that is that if you don't learn the fundamentals the right way, there is a potential for getting hurt, and you will never be able to grow in your strength and abilities. Now, with this new sermon series, as a means of reminder, we are trying to answer the question, how is our position in Christ lived out in the Christian life? And we want to answer that question through the lens of our obedience to Jesus, doing the things that he's called us to do, and through the lens of our spiritual disciplines. Now, as a reminder from last week, last week we said that because the gospel Because Jesus conquered the power and the penalty of sin, we work to overcome the presence of sin on a daily basis. We occupy ourselves with our salvation and we work at becoming more and more like Christ by the power of God at work in us. We do this not to earn anything from God, but as a response to the gospel. You with me? I could summarize last week's sermon like this. We are commanded to work out our salvation, to work out what Jesus has accomplished for us. Jesus has positioned us in him, and we are working what he has accomplished. And God is pleased. He is happy to empower us to do what he has commanded. Our obedience to Jesus derives its power from our position in Christ and the sustaining grace God will provide. Our spiritual disciplines derive their power from our position in Christ and from the sustaining grace that God will provide. So from beginning to end, Jesus is at work in us. He has positioned us before God as holy, as blameless, as righteous, and he helps us. He empowers us to work out our salvation. You are not alone, friend, and this should be super encouraging news. If you did not get a chance to listen to last week's sermon, you can go on our website and find it there. 
and I would encourage you to do so if you have not listened to it. And before we start looking at specific spiritual disciplines, we are laying a foundation. We are, we are pouring concrete last week and this week. Without a good foundation, we cannot build anything, right? So I would encourage you guys to look at last week's sermon and this week's sermon as two legs that will help us to stand firm. We can't stand on one leg for a long period of time, right? We need both. So this morning's sermon is the second piece to our foundations. And next week, we'll start looking at specific spiritual disciplines and essential practices of the Christian faith. Now, let me say this about today's sermon. I have this theory. I'm not sure that I can prove it. But I have this theory that the the preacher should be the most convicted guy in the room. And that is true about me today. This, this morning, typically Sunday mornings, I wake up early-ish. Today I woke up about 6, 6.15, and I go down to my office in our house just to kind of look over notes, think through some things. And today I opened up my notes, and I said, I can't do this. i got to pray. <laughs> so I just got on my knees, and I prayed because I've been, the Lord has just been working in me all week. And so um, I'm going to try to get through this today, okay? But that's my theory, all right? So y'all pray for me. But here is the big idea for today. This morning, I want to answer or try to answer two questions, which are these. If our work does not save us, then why? Why are we to work out our salvation? Why are we to occupy ourselves with our salvation, what do our works reveal? And to answer these two questions, we are looking at two texts of Scripture, one in Romans and one in the book of James. And folks who criticize the Bible have used these two passages of Scripture to try to show contradictions in the Bible. And my hope is that I'm going to try to help us see the cohesion in these texts and understand both of them together. So, before we do anything else, let's pray, and then we'll get to work from there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for your words. Thank you for Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Encourage us. Equip us, fill us with hope, help us to see Jesus clearly, convict us, Lord. Do those things that that only you can do, God. Lord, I I know that you are everywhere. We we can't outrun, outrun your presence. I just pray today, Lord. Specific that you, 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 you would, would move in this place, that your presence would, would, would be evident among us. Speak, Lord. I, I, help me today. Do your work. Holy Spirit, meet, meet people where they need to be met. Apply your words to their life, God. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name. 
If you've got a Bible, make sure you keep your Bibles open. We're going to start in the book of Romans, chapter 4. And uh, I really mean that. Keep your Bible open. Make sure that what I'm saying is in the book. Okay? So uh, Romans 4, we're going to look at the first uh, eight verses. And let's start with context. The book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to Christian people in Rome. It was a church that was a mixture of Jewish Christians and Roman Christians. And Paul begins the book of Romans with a bang. He's been saying a few simple things so far, chapters 1 through 3. Paul has talked about the power of the gospel, this famous verse in Romans 1, verse 16. Paul has talked about the the wrath of God against sinful men, Romans 1, verse 18. Paul has, uh, he has said that, that every human in the history of the world has sinned against God. You can find this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And part of Paul's agenda has been to show that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of grace. Not a gospel of performance, not a gospel of works, not a gospel of merit. And he is concerned with this question. How are people justified? Or how are people made right with God? That's a big question. So when we get to Romans 4, Paul is going to give us this contrast between these two views of salvation. We either are, are made right before God by what we do, or we are made right before God By grace, and there is no other option. So beginning in verse in in Romans 4, Paul is gonna expound on the excellence of grace while he is revealing the weakness of works to gain any favor with God. Does that make sense? He starts at the beginning with Abraham, who was the the father of the Jewish people, and kind of like our uh, one of our founding fathers, George Washington. Paul is asking, how was Abraham justified or how was Abraham made right with God? And the reason he is asking this question is because Abraham's justification will offer us insight into our justification. If we can see how the first person of faith was justified, we will see how the rest of us are justified, right? So in reality, Paul is asking this big question. How does a sinful person who is under the wrath of God become justified before God or become made right before God? And the first thing we notice in the text is that we are not justified by what we do. We are not justified by our works. In other words, there was nothing that Abraham did performed or accomplished that brought him peace with God. And right off the bat, Paul is going to show us the weakness of a performance-based justification. And he's going to show us two weaknesses. I think there might be one scripture ahead of me. Maybe not. There you go. Okay. Two weaknesses. The first weakness is found in verse 2. The first weakness is is if if we have a a, a salvation based on performance, we would have something to boast about. Listen, we are all 
naturally proud people. Can I get an amen? Man, if, I'm, if I would ask people to raise their hands, I would raise both my hands, you know. We, we like ladders. We like corporate ladders. We like social ladders. We like performance ladders. We like to brag about our performance. Is that true? How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody and you've shared a story of something you did or something that has happened to you and the moment you are done the other person tries to one-up you with a better story. Right? How many of you have been that person? I mean, we, we do this. From the moment our kids learn to climb, what do they say? Dad, look how high I've gotten. And we do this with our lives. Look how high I've climbed. Look at what I've done. Look at how much I've worked Look at how much I've accomplished for the millennials. Look how many likes I've got. Look how many followers I have. We love to do this. And we've been trying to work our way to heaven ever since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? They tried to cover their sin with fig leaves to make themselves right with God. The Tower of Babel in the Old Testament was built as people tried to reach a tower All the way to heaven. When we get to the New Testament, we find the Pharisees who felt that strict obedience to the laws of God would make them right with God. If they would just do it right, then they'd be right. And we, friend, we are no different. We believe that our performance, our hard work, our good deeds, our acts of kindness will somehow make us right with God. How many of you can relate to that? Now, if this were true, we would certainly brag about it. But there's a weakness in this thinking. While it might be impressive to men, it's not impressive to God. Notice that Paul says that at the end of verse 2. Look at that little line there. But not before God. In other words, if our works could save us, we would tell others about it, brag about it, but we would not have a leg to stand on before God. It might look good to our friends, but it really would be a stench to God. The reason is because work-oriented salvation is intrinsically man-centered, and it's going to rob God of the glory that he alone deserves, and it does nothing to impress God. And if it doesn't impress God, then surely it won't bring peace with God. You following this? That's the first weakness. The second weakness is this. It is a conflict with the gospel of grace. It conflicts with the gospel of grace. Works Performance, merit-oriented salvation or justification operates off a faulty premise. The premise is that we have something inherently good enough in us to produce a work that God will be happy with. I have Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 23 are correct. Then there's not one of us who is good enough or righteous enough to produce a work that God will be pleased with to save us. Therefore, it's impossible for a works-oriented justification to be true. 
Now, if it were true that we could produce good works that would save us, then justification becomes something we've earned and deserved. And that is a direct conflict with the gospel of grace. Grace by nature is a gift that someone else gives us that we don't deserve. So if it is true that the works save us, then it is no longer grace, it's our wage. And if it's no longer grace, then it's based off something we've done and earned, which, as we saw a moment ago, will rob God of all the glory. But here is the rub. Salvation is contingent upon work. And since it's impossible for us to do anything to save ourselves, then grace must win the day. Now listen to me. Grace means that someone else has done the work for us. So we could say we are justified by works, just not our works. Does that make sense? Jesus' works. Works-oriented justification conflicts with the gospel of grace. Grace by nature is a gift earned by someone else and given to us freely. Is that clear? Okay. We are not justified by works because it's impossible for us to do and it conflicts with the nature of grace. Now, if we are not made right with God through our performance or works, then is there a door number two? Is there another option? So Paul gives us the example of Abraham. And I'm going to try to go slow so we get it, okay? Abraham was justified by faith alone. We see this clearly in verses 2, 3, and 5. I I love how Paul addresses this in verse 3. He says this, But what does Scripture say? What does God say on this subject? Paul appeals to the highest authority we have for the answer. And the answer is this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This verse this, this little verse is what sent Martin Luther for a loop and set off the great reformation of the 1500s. Luther, living under the shadows of Roman Catholicism, was struck by the simplicity and the depth of this little statement. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham did nothing He didn't do anything to be counted as righteous. He did not buy indulgences. He did not submit to the Catholic Church. He was the son of an idol worshiper, but he believed God. He believed what God told him, promised him, and declared to him. So simple, but there is so much depth to that little verse. Notice again in verse 5, Paul reiterates this when he basically says this. This is not just about Abraham, but about us. Verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul's point in verse 3 and 5 is the same. We, we, In here, in this room, who call ourselves Christians, we are justified before God by faith, just like Abraham. 
Now consider how staggering these words must have been to the Jews who idolized this man. Paul says that Abraham believed God and justified the ungodly apart from anything he did. First, Paul calls Abraham ungodly. And then he says he was made right with God by faith, not by anything he did. This was radical. This was revolutionary and staggering to the Jews because they said that Abraham's faith was the work that saved him. Somehow, Abraham mustered up this faith. He worked up this faith on his own. After all, if Abraham hadn't believed, if he hadn't mustered up this faith, if he hadn't worked up this faith, he would have never been justified. Therefore, like Abraham, our work is to believe. But that's not what Paul is saying. And using his logic, what does the Bible say? This is what the Bible says right here. Romans 3, verse 11. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. Not partly dead, but dead, dead. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, the only way we could believe is to first be made alive, which the Bible says God does that part. And once we're alive, we're infused with the power of God to trust and accept God's words and promises. God gives life to those who believe. So in other words, faith is a gift of God and the natural response of those who've gone from death to life. So to say that Abraham's faith or our faith is meritorious or earns us something from God misses the mark because Abraham's faith is actually an act of God. And like Abraham, we believed because God acted. And that faith is the medium or the avenue by which God justifies us. So long story short, even faith is a gift. Now we're, we're getting something, so just bear with me, okay? But to drive this point further, Paul says this. He is contrasting work and faith, and he says this. The one who does not work but believes. If faith were a work, Paul would have said his believing is the work that justified him. So faith is not a work, but it is the avenue by which God justifies us. So that was a little heady. But to summarize, faith alone makes us right with God. That's the biggie. Don't get that wrong. Faith alone makes us right with God. So here is what faith is. In a nutshell, faith is believing God, what he said and promised. It is trust. It is confidence. It is a conviction in the fact that what God said he did, he did. And what he promised to do, he will do. And the way faith comes into our life, it's like this. We hear the facts about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and we believe that they are true. But faith makes the facts personal. We don't just believe that Jesus came. We believe he came for us. We don't just believe that there's sin in the world. We believe that there is sin in us. We don't just believe that the wrath of God is coming. We believe it's coming to us. 
We don't just believe that Jesus came to the world to save sinners. We believe he came to save us. Faith is placing ourselves in an attitude of trust and acceptance of God's promises found in Jesus, and it has no meritorious value, but it is the avenue by which we're justified, apart from works, and faith is a gift from God. So before I do anything else, before we look at James, we need to lay this foundation that we are justified by faith. And if you are here this morning, and you have never trusted in Jesus, if you would not call yourself a Christian, the Bible says that you are spiritually dead and separated from God. But that can be remedied by believing that Jesus came for you. By trusting that he is the only way to be reconciled to God. I've said before, listen, There are many roads that lead to God, but only one of them leads to a happy encounter with him. And his name is Jesus. So if you haven't placed your confidence in Jesus, I invite you to put your trust in him today. He has changed my life. He has changed our lives. And I would invite you to Whoever brought you to church, ask them more about Jesus. Okay, so this is part one of the sermon. We are justified by faith. We are made right before God by faith. Now, let me make this statement. I'm going to make this claim to make sure we all agree on this. Faith alone justifies or faith alone makes us right with God. Do you agree with that claim? Yes, okay. We are also told, as we looked at last week in Philippians 2, that we are to work out our salvation. So the question then becomes, what role do works play in our salvation when we know that we are justified by faith alone apart from works? What? So flip over to James real quick, James 2. And here is what I want us to see. Listen to this statement. Faith alone justifies. But faith that justifies is never alone. Does that make sense? A genuine faith, authentic faith, will be fruitful. So we have to lay the foundation for a few moments about In Romans, we are justified by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that justifies is never alone. Now, we've established the fact that neither Abraham nor us can do anything to earn favor with God. So, like Abraham, we must place our trust and our confidence in God's work of grace. But here in James, we are presented with a little bit of a dilemma. Specifically because in verse 24, James says to us that a person is not justified by faith alone, but by works. So what are we looking at? Are James and Paul at odds? And the short answer is no, they're not. 
But to understand this, we, we have to quickly look at the concerns of both Paul and James. Paul was concerned in the book of Romans with people having faith that would justify them. Faith that would make them right with God. So in a sense, Paul in Romans is concerned with the issue of having faith versus having no faith. You either have faith or you don't. Now James is concerned with people saying they have faith, but not showing any fruit of having faith. You got that? So James is concerned with living faith versus dead faith. This is why James asks what he does in verse 14. Can faith with no works save us? And he says the famous line in verse 17, faith without works is death, dead. Faith, James is concerned with, with authentic faith versus counterfeit faith. James is concerned with living faith versus dead faith. We can see this Another way, Romans 4 reveals what God sees, while James 2 reveals what man sees. Does that make sense? You really can say no, and we can. Okay. So rather than these two scriptures being at odds with each other in a contradiction, Paul and James are giving us a, a, a holistic, a full view of salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, to the glory of God alone. And genuine faith, authentic faith, will be fruitful. A commentator that I read this week said this about the relationship between these two texts. He said this, Paul gives us the declarative side of justification and James gives us the demonstrative side of justification. James shows us the good works are the receipt, receipt that verify if we've embraced the payment of Christ on our behalf. Let me see if this helps. How many of you ever shop at Costco? All right. Now, don't go to the Taquilla Costco. That one's crazy. <laughs> Can I get an amen? That's the worst one ever, man. Okay. So, you're at Costco. You're getting your groceries for the month. Your cart is full with more things than you need. And you've had all the tasters, right? Because that's why I go to Costco. When you get to the counter, you're ready to pay for this stuff, and someone else comes and pays for all of this. The cashier hands you the receipt, and you receive that gift. You, receive, you, you get that receipt, even though you did nothing to pay for it. When you receive the receipt, you're declaring that your groceries are paid for. Then, when you're ready to leave, what do you have to do at Costco? You've got to show your receipt at the door. Demonstrating that your groceries are paid for and that they're yours. Did that help? It helped me. In the same way, faith embraces the receipt of Jesus' gift. 
acknowledging that our sins are paid for by grace, but works show their receipt and verify that we have embraced faith. And before we get any of this twisted, because we do, the beauty in our confidence is that in this whole thing, we're not alone. God is working in us. God is helping us so that we produce fruit that brings Him glory. He gives us the desire. And when the desire is not there, He helps us with our discipline. But when there is desire and when it's discipline, it is God at work. And it brings Him great joy to help us. And this is, this is encouraging news for us. Three more, three more things. Three more things in James. James, like Paul, uses Abraham as his example. In verse 23, he does what Paul does. He appeals to the Bible and says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith justified him. But verse 24 says that he wasn't justified by faith alone, but by works. James is showing that Abraham's faith produced his works. And his works were a demonstration of his position, of his justification, showing us that the launching point for works is faith. Without faith, there will be no works. And without, without works, faith is dead. It's not living faith. So the horse is faith. The cart is works. Second thing to notice, which is the direction of our work? They are always proceeding from faith in God in favor with God, not for favor with God. So our works are from faith, not for faith. Abraham was commanded to offer up his kid, Isaac, to God, which he did. While he was already declared righteous by his faith, he demonstrates the receipt of that righteousness by his obedience to God. Verse 23 is clear in what the scripture says on this. So when James says in verse 24 that he was justified by his works, he is showing us the authenticity of his faith. Abraham's works authenticate the, his receipt of the gift of grace. Just like our works authenticate the receipt of the gift of grace. So when James says works completed his faith, it means we're seeing the result of justification by faith in our lives by the works that are done. These works proceed from faith and favor with God, not for faith or for favor with God. And this is important. Abraham was not trying to earn anything from God. He already had it. God had given it to him by grace. Rather, his obedience flowed from his faith that he had favor with God. And this kept him from trying to be obedient for favor with God. So the directional angle of our works is important. Are we obeying God because we feel like it gains something? Or are we obeying because something has already been gained? Are we obeying from favor or for favor? Final thing, and then we'll close. Our works reveal our faith. There is an old Disney movie with young and handsome Kurt Russell called Now You See Him, Now You Don't. Anybody ever seen this movie? It's like, it's like 70s, right? It's not, it's not his best work. 
but that's okay. <laughs> okay. The movie is about these college kids who make this invisible potion. And if you sprayed it on, boom, you were invisible. You disappear. Whenever they would do this, if they were working together, they, uh, in order to see where the invisible person had gone, they'd put on uh, a hat, clothes, and glasses on the invisible person so they could see where he was. Do we have a picture of that? Negative? Well, there we go. So they, they have, the invisible person has this hat, glasses, but you can see through them, right? So this is a lot like what James is describing. Faith is basically invisible to an onlooking world. But works show our faith to the world around us. Like putting on clothes and hat and glasses on an invisible man. And you got to notice something about James' concern in this text. James is concerned with the public display of faith being demonstrated by good works. James 1.27, famous verse is this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. To keep oneself unstained from the world. James 2, verse 8, says this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So James' view of works is something that is outside of ourselves. He is not necessarily talking about our personal and private disciplines. Those are really good, and they will be the focus of our, the rest of this series. But what he's saying is this. Works reveal our faith to a world that can't see our faith apart from our works. Martin Luther said this, God doesn't need our works, but our neighbor does. So what is clear from Romans is that we are justified. We are made right before God by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ Jesus alone, for the glory of God alone. But James gives us the counterpart or the, the, the other half. Faith that justifies should never be alone. Genuine faith, authentic faith, will be fruitful. And our confidence is that God is at work to do this. So, faith alone justifies. Let's get that right. Faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. Okay, before we pray, let me talk about how we can respond to the sermon. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate what God has done. Listen, you, my fear with some of the truths that we've talked about today is that you know, like, like good Christians, we know this. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm saved by faith. Awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> if it was left up to you, to you or myself, we're in trouble. So we've got lots to rejoice and celebrate. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing of what God has done for us. We're going to remember his works and we're going to rejoice. We should celebrate that God is helping us in our works. As we sing, we're also going to transition into a time of a prayer, reflection, meditation. Thinking about what we've heard. And we're going to also respond by taking the Lord's Supper together today. As we take communion this morning, we will proclaim the death of Jesus. We will remember what he has done. These elements, the bread, the juice, or the wine, represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And they are a visible sermon to us. They are the gospel in tangible form. And in light of the gospel, in light of this great salvation by grace through faith in Christ for the glory of God alone, let's before we partake of the elements, let's examine ourselves this morning. Recognizing the gravity of our sin and the weight of Christ's glory sacrifice. This is a great time to confess and repent of sin. You know, listen, my, all week I was convicted as heck about my works. Not convicted to guilt or shame, but it just made me appreciate Jesus so much. So I encourage you to do the same. Examine yourself, and if there's conviction, don't let that go to shame or guilt, but turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. We are saved by faith, alone. It's by grace alone. It's because of Jesus alone. To the glory of God alone. That's what scripture alone says. But our faith should produce fruit. So the band is going to play three songs today. At any time during those songs, you can uh, come to the front, grab the elements. As you do that, after you do that, you can go back to your seat or find a spot somewhere in the gathering space, and we invite you, like I said, take a moment to reflect, pray, and then partake in communion. And you can do this individually, you can do this with a friend, you can do this as families, as couples, or maybe in uh, HGs or small groups. Another way of responding today is by giving. Financial giving is an act of worship, and your giving allows us to continue to do gospel work in this community. There are Boxes along the back wall where you can drop off your gift this morning. And after these three songs, I'll come back up and close our gathering with announcements and a benediction. So let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. God, I, uh, this morning, I thank you for Jesus. I, I find myself in that boat. I know these truths. I've studied them. I, I've read and read and read about these things. 
But help us today to marvel again at the wonderful gospel of grace. You have saved us. Not because there was anything good in us. Not because of anything we did. (laughs) But just because you're gracious and good. Let the truth of that statement do something to us. And Father, I, I pray that, that we would be people who have genuine faith, who have living faith, authentic faith, and that our faith would be fruitful. And Lord, I, like it happened to me as, as I examined my works, man, there is great conviction. And I pray that if that is happening today, I think that's a good thing. But let us not be convicted to the point of shame or guilt. But let us, let us rest in the gospel and in your power to transform us and make us more like Christ. So do that today, God. For those who may not know you, let them see the beauty of the gospel. Let them see the beauty of Jesus and draw them to yourself. And help us to be a people that we are not just intellectually full, but we are, uh, we're not just full of doctrine, but we are, we're also full of delight. We are delighting in you, God. We want to taste you, God. So we've heard your the truths of Scripture, now we respond. We will sing and we will delight and taste you, God. Meet your people. And we've prayed this before, but may Taproot, may this church be an embassy, an outpost of heaven. So again, thank you, God. Now we respond. God speaks, we respond. In Jesus' name we pray.